Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston begins a three-part series on what motivates your child's behavior. Let's hear what he has to say. When Jane and I had been married a number of years, and as many of you know, Jane and I started dating uh, in the ninth grade. Um, uh, and I tell people this all the time, that, that it was after we went to a Christian concert uh, following our ninth grade year where we kind of got together. <laughs> the concert was Led Zeppelin. And so that was our first date. And um, But after we got married years, probably 10, 15 years after we got married, I was stunned at her announcement one day when she just said, there's something I need to talk to you about. And I thought I knew everything about my wife. But she surprised me when she said that she wanted to go see a counselor. And um, and I knew Jan and her history, but I did not know the depth of the pain that she had felt. And like a typical male, I had no idea what she was talking about. Tearfully, she began to explain the sense of loss she's felt from sexual abuse that she experienced as a child. Uh, she realized that she needed to deal with that loss, and, and she was worn out from her constant attempts to manage the feelings and hurts from years earlier. Uh, this sticks with uh, women, and, um, and I had a front row seat at watching the effects of, of uh, sexual abuse from an early age, torment uh, a lady who uh, has her life together, loves the Lord, loves people, loves kids. Um, but she was fighting depression. She had relational issues in her family that no one had dealt with, and everyone quietly avoided like many families do. And she felt unsettled in her head and her heart. So we started to go to counseling. You know, I thought it was just for her. And I really found out that after a while it was for both of us. And then I found out that it was really for me. Um, but we made a decision uh, for her sake. Uh, but it did become an opportunity for both of us. I watched her counselor, you know, peel back these layers of emotion in Jan's life. And I began to see, you know, how her loss played such an integral role in her existence in our relationship. And this counseling process lasted almost 18 months. I thought we were going to go and get it fixed within a month. Little did I know that it would take that long. We drove two hours each way. We'd leave Longview, Texas, go to Dallas, and spend two hours with a counselor, go out and eat. And, and there were times that I absolutely loved, and there were times that I absolutely hated it. At times I, I thought, yeah, let me, you know, Jan would look at me, and we'd be arguing in the car after a counseling session, and she would say, I'm getting out of the car right now. And I would look at her and go, not yet, honey. Let me speed up. I mean, it, it counseling just had an amazing way of bringing things out, good and bad, and they all rise to the surface, and you have to deal with them. You know, I, I loved learning uh, when we were in counseling how we were wired differently and how various things in our lives molded our thinking, our behaviors, and interactions with each other. I hated the pain that came out of it for Jan and for me individually and as a couple. I learned so many things, including the way that we handle loss by filling the emptiness with things that don't last. Jan's recognition of the futility of her efforts to fill those voids moved her to a desperate point of pain, causing her to question her current state and long for something different. Uh, 
And in my years of working with struggling teens, which is now up around 45 years, um, I've seen the same thing over and over in young ladies who were sexually abused. And I know that the question that people ask all the time is, why does my child do what they do? And what I've really found is this, is that, is that so much behavior that we see, appropriate and inappropriate, is founded in the losses in somebody's life to attempt to fill those losses and those voids that I'm not so sure will ever be filled. And eventually people get to the point where they just shut down and say, I can't do this anymore. There was a young lady named Anna. She was sexually abused by her grandfather for years. And it started at age two and and lasted until she was like 12, 13 years old. And all of a sudden, one of her friends heard her innocently share what her grandfather was doing to her. This sweet little friend told Anna that she should tell her mother, and she did. And that was it, at least for a while. As Anna matured, she began to understand more fully the violation of her body during those earlier years. The older she got, the more furious she became. And she exerted more and more effort to counteract the damage that her grandfather had caused in her. She wore herself out trying to prove to herself he had no more control over her and she was more than what her grandfather's abuse told her she was. Every time he committed an act of abuse, he was sending a message to Anna. It was a message that became clear as the years passed. It was a message of disregard and disrespect, of deceit and brainwashing. And it was basically saying this, you're trash and I can use you the way I want. This horrific luring of an innocent girl into his perversion, basically, setting in motion a way of thinking that almost destroyed this young lady. And the response to this kind of abuse is, is not what most people think. You know, I learned years ago from a fellow named Dan Allender who wrote the book called Hope for the Wounded Heart that girls respond to sexual abuse by becoming party girls, bad girls, or good girls. And Anna chose to take the good girl route. She felt compelled to prove the message her grandfather communicated countless times through the years was wrong. And she was going to make herself perfect. She set out to be valued, adored, and honored. Does sound like any kid that you know? But Anna couldn't do it by herself. You know, all her efforts could not quite fill the emptiness caused by a selfish, uncontrolled man. And as a result, she lived in a world of frustration and quiet rage, trying to erase the message she received for years. She just couldn't quite do it. I've come to believe loss of any kind is one of the greatest motivators for behavior. It is why so many teens do what they do. This cause and effect style of living is a response to damage done to us rather than a fulfillment of God's purpose in us. And if we allow him, God can use loss for our benefit. He takes what was meant for evil and uses it for good. We're promised that throughout Scripture. Loss impacts how we live, and teens are truly no exception. Nobody cares more about their teen than moms. But even moms can get discouraged and distracted when watching their teen go through those difficult adolescent years. You can feel alone and helpless, unable to know how to encourage your teen. It can get hard to trust God's goodness in the midst of such hard times. Mark Gregston knows the feeling. 
That's why he wrote Prayers for My Teen. It's a book of prayers and devotionals to help moms keep their eyes on God and their hearts uplifted, even when your teen is struggling. Prayers for My Teen is a great addition to your purse, bedside, glove compartment, or desk drawer as a simple way of reminding you of God's faithfulness to you and love for your family. Get your copy of Prayers for My Teen at parentingteenresources.org. Yeah, I don't know why it's easy for women to understand what loss is, and it's difficult for men to quite embrace it. And when I talk about loss, I'm talking about voids in, in somebody's life that come from not getting what you need, what you want, or what you hope for. It's a chasm in the heart caused by deprivation, a failure to achieve something, or a possible defeat that you experienced. It's the hollowness you're unable to overcome, and it's the pit of loneliness that remains when something is taken away. In times of loss, the gospel message is, is greatly needed. One of the greatest acts that I, I believe that God performs for a person who experiences loss is to fill the voids and the chasms created by that loss and give true freedom uh, that only comes in a relationship with Christ. The hole in Anna's life, um, because of sexual abuse, cannot be filled by anything she does or, or not do. It can only be filled by God. And how does he do it? I have no idea. But I just know that he does. When Anna allows him to do his work in her, she will no longer have to waste her time trying to fill voids. Instead, she will be able to fulfill her purpose in life acknowledge his thumbprint on her life, and accept the role he calls her to fill. After one of our seminars, a 41-year-old man came up to me and said, hey, all my life I've had to overcome one comment that was made to me when I was in the sixth grade. A teacher barked out a harsh remark that belittled and humiliated this man as he told me a story, and it happened while he was standing in front of his class. Okay, get this, a 41-year-old man, and he's going back to the sixth grade. And she said this, if you had as much brains as you do fat, you might make something of yourself. Now, I'm convinced that that teacher probably had no idea how much her one hurtful statement would negatively affect a little boy's life. But so much uh, so that he was still trying to get its echo out of his head almost 30 years later. This man experienced one of those profound losses, a loss of value, respect, dignity, and honor. His thinking and behavior changed. He committed to prove that teacher wrong and to show everyone that he was not fat and he was smart. He lived from that day on with the I'll show you mentality. He was controlled by the lie of a careless, cruel teacher rather than the one who created him and called him son. You know, as I say that, you may have something that pops from your head or pops into your head, and it could pop your head too, but it may pop into your head uh, from your early years. Perhaps it was a dad that told you you were stupid or your mom that said you were an embarrassment to the family. Or maybe something remains buried deep in your soul and that message still rings in your head when you're still. You know, most 
people experience some kind of loss, especially today's young people. You may have learned to live with the lie, stuff it down, work to overcome it, or heal from it. Today's teen often doesn't know how to combat the lies that it's planted in their spirits. Their wounds are open and bleeding, and their behavior shows the pain uh, that is in their life. A father of one of the young men living with us here at Heartlight um, shared how he spent most of his life trying to live down a comment his dad made during his teen years. His dad never told him how proud he was and stated many times he didn't think his son would amount to much. This man went on to share that he is now 50 years old and spent his adult life trying to please his dad. Now he realized he should have been trying to please God. When Scripture tells us that the the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, um, the last quality on this list is self-control. And I, you know, and I've said this kind of like a billion times. I'd submit to you that that concept of self-control is not about anger management um, or squelching lust. I believe God calls us to exercise self-control so we're not controlled or distracted by anything that could derail us from God's intent or purpose from us. Self-control means responding what God has done for you, not reacting to perhaps what others have done to you. And this is an important concept to grasp as you attempt to understand your teen's behavior. You know, because here's here's something that happens, and I, and I think this is so important, is that you've probably had losses in your life, and your child's had losses in their life. And at some point, you're trying to fill your voids, and they're trying to fill their voids. And we find that we're being controlled by different things. When God desires to be in control, and he wants us to have self-control, but we're allowing these other things to control us. And so a lot of conflict begins to happen when a child's not meeting the needs that I need, and and they're not finding you know, fulfillment in the needs that they have, and all of those have been created by losses. It's an important concept to grasp as you try to figure out, okay, why does my child do the, the stuff that they do? And, and you know, I've, I've said another billion times that, that behavior is driven by needs. And the question that you need to ask now is the following. Has a loss in my child's life caused a need that his behavior or her behavior is trying to fill. And Scripture tells us that, that God is a spring of living water, and you can drink all the water you want, but until you drink from Him, you will always thirst. You know, my efforts to satisfy my needs will only temporarily satisfy my thirst. His provision fully meets my need, ending my thirst and eliminating the need for me to find it in other things. To find my own refreshment, I don't have to. And Jeremiah 2.13 says this. He says that my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so when we listen to the negative comments and the criticisms of others and uh, allow the lies to take root in our spirits, we're like broken cisterns. We continue, we really continue to thirst and pour in addictive behaviors and sexual promiscuity, inappropriate relationships, anything we can to try to keep the leaking cistern full. And only when we hear the voice of truth and allow his living water to remove the lies 
will our cisterns be whole. Now, I, I hope you're following me here. I hope you're picking this up and going, okay, I, I, I get it. There's losses in people's lives. But here's another thing. You know, Jan and I were living at a Christian sports camp in Branson, Missouri called Canicut Camp. And we lived there during the 80s. And, and, you know, we had an incredibly wonderful time when we rubbed shoulders with people from all around the country in all walks of life. And one of the greatest joys that we had was to get to know a, a, a fellow and his wife. It was Spike and Darnell White. Um, both have since died. Uh, but the impact that they had on, on Jane and I will never be forgotten. Spike was an 80-something-year-old man that kind of took me under his wing. Um, and he made everyone feel valuable, especially me. I had a bunch of opportunities to dive into deep discussions with him on why kids do what they do and what gets them off track and how to work with kids who were struggling. And I'll never forget a statement that he made uh, that appeared in a lot of camp's literature. And he said this, the moods of a lifetime are often set in the all but forgotten events of childhood. You know, Spike wanted people to to have great opportunities during their early years that would help mold their character, their destiny, and purpose in life. And his statement remains undoubtedly true. Childhood events have the power to positively or negatively affect a person's life. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. Don't forget that next week, Mark Gregston will continue this three-part series and talk about the second part of loss, understanding your child's loss. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss a single episode. For more information, visit parentingtodaysteens.org. And to learn more about Heartlight, visit heartlightministries.org. Join us tomorrow for another great episode. We'll talk to you then.